Good morning, good evening, good <laughs> afternoon, everybody. We welcome you back to the seventh. Yep, seventh, seventh, seventh episode of It's a Black and White Thing. I am uh, the amazing co-host A Ward. Holler at me on Twitter A W A R D eight six five. Instagram A Ward Bars. Um, holler at me on there. And uh, we just here um, meeting, filming this little episode, and uh, my man Carlos is here. Go ahead and yep, introduce yep. yourself, man, because I don't know if they know who you are. Yep, yep. If you don't know who I am, you know you should get to know me. Mm-hmm. Um, hit me up uh, at a one the l a one the lp on Twitter. I'm stumbling tonight, man. I'm stumbling tonight at a one the lp on Twitter. Um, you hit me up facebook.com backslash a one the lp. You can listen to the show, soundcloud.com backslash A1TheLP, uh, to, to listen to episodes of It's a Black and White Thing. Um, yeah, man, that's 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 the particulars. As always, as always, we are in the MMP studios, the homie DJ Trey holding it down, producing yes, the show. Uh, to listen to his show, Music Microwave Podcast, you can go to podomatic.com backslash music microwave podcast, facebook.com backslash music microwave podcast or twitter.com backslash music microwave podcast to hear the freshest in christian hip-hop and you know i don't like to say r&p i just call it r&b i mean it, you know that's just not people my, call it r&p yeah rhythm and praise you know oh, black you see, know, I, i'm not hip to that that's the white thing coming out of me you know that you know christians you know we always we want to put a little you know christian spin on things so we don't we don't want to call it rhythm and blues you know right because you know we got joy so uh, they call it rhythm and praise. Uh, so like a uh, breadcrumb and fish, like 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 them like the. I the, guess. All right, I cool. to, I, I'm trying to think of what the acronym they did for thought. I'm trying to remember what the acronym was. Somebody made. It was that. a thought acronym. Yeah, it was something about true holiness or something like that, and it was. <laughs> wow. Uh, so it was pretty whack, but you know <laughs> that's funny. that's that's what we that's what some Christians choose to do. So yeah. So um. So uh, how you been, man? I've been good, man. Actually, I, I mean, I, I actually I just lied because I had a rough week. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but for the most part, you know, I'm on, uh, uh, I'm here, I'm alive, I'm blessed, I'm breathing and, uh, I'm still going to Florida in two weeks. So I'm excited, man. So my job, so if you don't know, a Ward obviously is a Tennessee fan. I need, I should get you that Missouri hat to wear while you're out there. Nah, that's uh, not I haven't happened. forgot about that bet. If you remember, ten, we had a, a bet, a we did. Ward. uh, me and him had a bet Tennessee versus Mizzou. If Mizzou won, he had to wear a, a Mizzou hat. Um, for a week and take pictures and put it up on Facebook. If Tennessee won, I had to uh, just put Rocky Top as my status on all my social networks. Mizzou won, but I still haven't gotten a hat. But I haven't forgotten. Uh, my and job I'm going to still is, own up to it, man. I'm going to still yeah, own up to it. My man. job is trying to hate on me going to see Notre Dame uh, play. So Tennessee, by the way, is playing in Jacksonville. Taxlayer.com, Bo, is that right? Yep, yep. yep. And uh, January 2nd. Yes, I'm Iowa. To, yep, I'm trying to go see Notre Dame play LSU. My brother, I'm trying to surprise him for Christmas. He's actually coming home. He's in the re- Army in basic training, coming home for Christmas. Um, yep, yep, my little bro's in, in basic training. He's an LSU up, fan. Yep, I'm a, I'm a Notre Dame fan. Coast so I'm to coast. To, That's my nickname for him. your brother. Dre, coast to coast. That's my dude. Oh, my God, from, his, from the hooping days. That, from the hooping days. Yeah, we'll get into that someday of me arguing with him, trying to be thinking he's a point guard with right. no handle. But um, <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, so, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. You know, last night I um, was in the restaurant with, a, with an all-pro linebacker, Derek Johnson. I did not walk up to him and, and try to introduce myself. I feel like when these guys are out to eat with their family, you know, you don't you don't bother them. You just chill, let them let them enjoy their time. But you know, uh, see, I'm the same kind of person. Funny story, a little bit. As uh, we were at Buffalo Wild Wings, and Tech Nine was uh, table beside us, and uh, I was like, I, he was with a lady and a child, uh, I assumed to be his child. Um, but I thought to myself, uh, you know, let's just I'm just gonna let him eat or whatever, because at the time I hadn't met him yet. Right. And one of my friends is like, no, I'm going to get a picture, you know. So he turns his phone and he kept the flash on and the shutter sound and everything just went off. And so that that's why I'm a firm believer. And you just you just let yeah. just let the people eat, man. Had somebody walked up to him, I would have I would have then kind of seen that as my segue to trying to come up and say, hey, you know, not a huge Chiefs fan, but, you know, I follow the Chiefs, mm-hmm. you know. You know, I got my show. I got a little show, a little fledgling show I'm starting up. You know what I'm saying? If you can come through at some, some point in time, you know. I mean, maybe through 83's name out there, you know, to try to say, you know, we right. got a mutual, you know, mutual connection here. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. But speaking of the Chiefs, man, you know, we talked uh, last week. We talked about the Chiefs and their chances to make the playoffs. 
Um, and right now they're eight and six. Eight right? and six. Yep. Eight and six. Big, big game coming up against <laughs> the Steelers next week. Um, and again, when are they in? Right now they're in seventh spot. The Steelers technically, I think, are the five seed right now because right. of the tiebreakers. But if they beat them, they have the that tiebreaker over them as well as the same. Uh, With the Chargers the next week. No, right. Chargers are seven and seven. Oh, okay. They lost. So All right. Okay. They would technically move into the sixth spot. If they beat the uh, Steelers next week with a win in your end game against uh, against San Diego, so right. what do you think? Think they can uh, pull it off? No, I think they lose. Um, I think I told you this last time, man. Uh, I just don't see it happening. I don't see it happening against a veteran quarterback on the road um, against a team that has been playing very well. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that Roethlisberger has been playing very well at times. Um, and I just don't see it happening. I mean, I think that the strength of the Chiefs' defense is their pass rush, and Ben Roethlisberger is probably the hardest quarterback to sack in the National Football League. Now, I'm going to say, you know, the Chiefs have had success against Ben, though. I, I'm, I have to go back and look historically. I want to say in the last two times they faced the Steelers, they won. See, this is why it's not cool that you do all this research and make me that look was off top of the really dome, silly. Off, okay. That was freestyle. I that ain't, was? I ain't had no notes. That, yeah, that was so, freestyle. So it might not be true. So y'all don't laugh yet. It might. You know, I'll look it up. I'll look it up at some point. <laughs> no, and we'll but, find but out. I personally, I don't, I don't, I don't see it happening. But um, but if they do, awesome. I honestly didn't think they looked very impressive in their win against Oakland. I mean, I think that the first half wasn't very impressive. That they came together in the second half, um, and they didn't come out and 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 needless to say, um, show me a whole different team from the the poorest uh, performances they've had in the last couple of weeks. Well. One, I think I look at the losses that the Chiefs have had, and I think the Oakland one is the most embarrassing one. All the other losses they've had have been to been to really good teams. Uh, granted, the 49ers, you know, okay. Um, but, you know, Arizona, first place in the NFC. They didn't have Palmer, though, right? True, true. But, I mean, they were at home, too. Um, two losses to the, the Broncos. Broncos. I'm trying to think who else they lost to this year. Uh, Oakland, obviously, that was a terrible. That's Ford, so that's one of the loss I'm missing, right? Uh, yeah. No, no, that was it. That was it. Oakland, San Francisco, uh, Denver twice, and then Arizona. So that's five. Yeah. There's six losses. I don't know who the six yeah, losses are. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, but anyway. It don't matter. But, Derek Johnson, if you somehow hear this, if someone gets this podcast into the hands of, of DJ, I believe in your team, man. I believe in the squad. I'm a Niner fan, but I, I'm riding with y'all. As a Kansas City res- well, Grandview resident, but as a Kansas City, you know, overall, metro area resident, I'm riding, you know what I'm saying? So so I believe that they will win and that they will get in, and then they'll probably take on the Colts and try to get revenge for that that horrific, horrific loss last year in the playoffs. So so you think they're going to be Pittsburgh and San Diego? Yes. Wow. Uh, I don't know if uh, Phillip Rivers will make it to the end of the season. Really? I mean, he's he did not practice Wednesday. Um, he's having some issues with the back. He's got the broken ribs. Like, he's been bruised mm-hmm. and battered since about week four. Yeah. So, he's on his last leg. They lost Keenan uh, Allen for the year. I think he collarbone injury. Mm-hmm. So, he's done for the season. So, they're coming into their game beat up against the 49ers on Saturday, short week as well. So, yeah, that's a tough test too. Yeah. So, you got two teams with not a whole lot to play for. Um, and so, then you beat Pittsburgh and then you get San Diego at home with a chance to get to the playoffs. Well, so, let's yeah. hope they give us something to continue to talk about. Granted, I want them to win. But uh, just the realist side of me just says, yeah. as I'm wearing a Chiefs hat in the MMP studio, um, I just I don't see it happening. And uh, Trent, you know, Bo, six touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. Bo um, prediction, six touchdowns. We we still we need you got two games to get six. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. Uh, but uh, there was hope. Uh, it's not just not gonna happen. But uh, the six uh, their six losses was Denver twice. Uh, they lost to Tennessee at the home opener. Tennessee, that's uh, the one we missed. Yeah, San Francisco. Uh, Stupid Raiders and stupid Arizona. So I assume that Trent is kind of like the guy at the end of PTI that comes on with the errors, except he just <laughs> he's does it in the reality. middle of your podcast. He's is, that, is that what? Okay. That would All be right. dope, though. That would be dope if he could do that. For those services, that's an extra $5 an hour. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's where the Chiefs are right now. Uh, we'll keep it moving. Um, real Let quick. me ask you something real quick. Do you yeah, feel yeah. like that you're still excited about the NFL right now? For some reason, I feel like there's not much excitement when it comes to the NFL right now. Like, I was excited last week to see Johnny football play. Crash and, and burn. And, and he crashed and burned, so now I'm definitely not excited to see him play anymore. But, like, there's not anything that I really, like, I'm not just like, wow. Like, uh, I'm excited to watch the Seahawks defense or, or you know, Peyton's got this record or something. Like, there's nothing that's, that's really got me, like, cliffhanger-wise. You know, other than a couple of important games for some wild-card spots, I just kind of feel like I'm being lulled into the playoffs. 
<laughs> I found myself, you know, you're kind of right, because I, I go back and look over the course of the season. I remember thinking to myself as Pittsburgh, not Pittsburgh, uh, the Packers played uh, the Seahawks in the opening week of of the uh, the NFL season. By the third quarter, I was, as I was watching the game, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I just found myself like, why am I watching this? Um, you got a Thursday night game that's happening tonight that I could care less about. Right. Uh, it is it the t- Titans and Jaguars? Yes. Is what it is? Yes. yes. Um, nobody cares. Sunday night games, I find myself, I'm not watching until the I third quarter. I might watch quarter. it if it's at Jacksonville. I might watch it just to see where my ticket is <laughs> for the TaxSlayer.com. Man, <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know. I don't know if it's because we're getting older that we just don't care as much, that we just lose. I don't know. But I, I, have, I know my reasons, you know, Roger. I know my reasons why I don't care about the NFL as much as I used to. Um, you know, shots out to Roger Goodell. Oh, this dude. Um, Poppy Lebertard from uh, Highly Questionable Cause him Fidel Goodell. Goodell. Um, I think that's an appropriate name. But, you know, um, oh, but, uh, but no, I do feel you. I, I mean, I, I found myself where in the past where I would really pay attention to these games. I'm not paying attention as right, much anymore. Yeah. So. I just want to try it one time. Roger. Nah, it's just not the same, man. It's just not the same when I say it. By the way, I was right. The last two times that the Chiefs have faced uh, Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have won. They were low-scoring affairs, uh, 2011, 13-9. That was a game where ben, Big Ben got knocked out. I believe it was a concussion in that okay. game. And then they beat him in overtime two years ago at Pittsburgh in Heinz Field. So I'm, I'm just saying. Okay. Well, as long as this game doesn't involve a last-minute drive by the Chiefs, then yeah, I think that I mean, I, don't get me wrong. When I say I don't think they'll win, it doesn't mean I don't think they'll have a chance. You know, I definitely think that every time the Chiefs go out, they can beat anybody in the NFL um, uh, because I believe they have Pro Bowl caliber players. Um, it's just really they have to hit on all cylinders, play calling. Uh, Alex Smith, Jamal Charles has to get the amount of touches that he needs, and the defense has to be playing lights out for them too. Well, you know, as John Gruden said, anything can happen on a Sunday night. Yep. On a Sunday, even on a Monday night. So. <laughs> Um, and also to quote Trent Dilfer, nope. you cannot lose in the NFL and expect to win. So, yeah. Uh, with those two nuggets of wisdom from those two great analysts, we'll move on uh, to other news. Breaking news today: as we left our respective day jobs, Rondo, we, yeah, Rondo, 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 we got news. That's a segue that, to later, y'all. <laughs> we got news that Rajon Rondo is a deal is in the works with the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, to trade Rajon Rondo. Uh, the deal is Rondo going to the Mavericks for Brandon Wright. Oh, crap. Hold on. Let me pull up ESPN so I can get it right. Uh, Brandon Wright, Jameer Nelson. Uh, I thought it was Brendan Wright. Bra- it, is, uh, it is Brendan Wright. You're right. Brendan Aren't Wright. Aren't you a Tar Heels fan? I, he was only there for a year. He's from Tennessee. He was, he was supposed only there to come for to Tennessee, year. but he went to North Carolina. Made me mad. He was on that terrible 2010 team. I don't, I, that's why I don't remember. Oh. Oh nine was the, the Hansbro title year, then Brendan Wright came in on that terrible team that lost in the first round of mm-hmm. NIT. So Brendan Wright, Jay Crowder, two future picks. Yep. And there was one more Jameer Nelson. Jameer Nelson. Yep. Two Oh uh, f- Jameer Nelson. Oh, they, they announced the picks, the first and the second round picks. So um you got the Mavericks, which I was looking at the the Western Conference mm-hmm. uh in the NBA is stacked. Right. Um the worst team in the rest Western Conference, the A seed, which at the time was the Hornets. Uh, they were five hundred twelve and twelve. They would be like a six seed in the East. So eight would be the six in the East. Yeah, wow. yeah. That, I mean, the Mavericks, uh, not the Mavericks, but the Warriors and the uh, Grizzlies played a really great game a couple of nights ago. Man, I saw some of the uh, some of just the things going on Twitter, uh, uh, and I was mad that I wasn't watching that game because apparently Marcus all hit one of the ugliest thirty foot three pointers to send the game into that game. You know, see me and me and Marcus. Shout out to the homie Marcus. We had this argument about which uh, which was better, NFL or NBA, mm-hmm. and. That game, that game, and then the triple overtime Spurs Grizzlies game that was last night, where Tim Duncan hit a ridiculous oh, yeah. shot to send it into uh, triple overtime. Those games to me represent why the NBA is better than the NFL. Um, I know you talk about parity, but I look at teams like the Sixers, teams like the Timberwolves, bottom feeder teams that have more hope than a team like the Raiders and a team like Jacksonville or Tennessee, who seems like they're just there, they're going nowhere. Right. Those teams have Wiggins. Um, well, I think I think in the NBA, uh, one draft pick can change your franchise. Whereas in the NFL, I don't believe that's the, necessarily the same as 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 imminently. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But but anyway, but yeah, that's it. that deal for Rondo to bring it back to what we're talking about is going to bring it 
uh, full circle, uh, not full circle. We're going to bring the, the Mavericks into contention. Mm-hmm. Um, they got Monte Ellis. They got um, obviously Dirk. Chandler Parsons. Chandler Parsons. And now you add Rondo in the mix. Now, obviously, you know, there's always this argument about, you know, point guards, a true point guard. To me, a true point guard is a point guard who can't shoot. Right. Uh, which Rondo obviously has his issues. Mm-hmm. But dude is a baller. So, I mean, he gets yeah. his buckets how he gets them. So, I'll be really interested to see how this changes that that team in in their race for you know uh at least home court advantage like that's the big thing in the west is having getting at least that four seed i mean it's just exciting to me to just see him matched up with tony parker you know like playing i mean westbrook you know day in and day out it's just gonna be rondo d'ing up all of these you know like uh pause if applicable (laughs) but rondo playing defense on all of these you know high caliber guards in the west um, so I think that that just – I mean, anytime some like an all-star comes from one conference to the other, I think it's definitely fun to pay attention to and watch. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So uh, we got that going on. And we'll hit one last uh, one last topic because mm-hmm. um, our guest, you know, stepped out for just a second. But uh, NFL – hit one more <laughs> NFL topic. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, as a 49ers fan, obviously, there's the rumors of yeah. him imminently leaving the uh, the Niners – a uh, report came out last week, or not last week, but a couple of days ago, that Michigan, shouts out to Jesse Abbey, who was <laughs> guest hosting with us last week. Right. We miss you, bro. Michigan is going to offer, I wish he was here to talk yeah. about this. Michigan has offered him a six year deal. 40. 40. One report said 49 million, <laughs> another report said 48. Um, and my first response, I mean, we talked about it on Twitter, was 8 million? Right. For a college, really? For, for a, a college, college coach? football coach. Yeah, that was crazy. And, you know, I think the thing that kept coming to the back of my mind is 40, you know, $8 million a year for a college coach, yet we can't pay kids. We can't get kids paid, you know, and it just, it boggles my mind. So um, I know Shock asked. Who me, is the highest pay? I'm guessing Nick Saban is the highest million. paid coach. He's making $7 million, $7 million a year. So you can guarantee if he takes that job, so here's, Saban's going to going to restructure. Oh, yeah. He's going to get $8 million. So Saban's got $8.1 million. You know, multiple national championships with True. multiple different teams and, and, uh, that's the other and part a track about, record of actually winning in college football. But that's the other part about Harbaugh. I mean, he had the success at Stanford, some right. success at San Diego, but he hasn't won a, a championship. So to Nothing. pay him that kind of money, yeah, which – that's his alma mater. They're desperate to hit a home run with this next hire. Uh, you know, that's just crazy to me. But how, we, if you can give a college co- a coach eight million dollars a year, not to give mention, a student, you can give a student athlete. Is you can let you can let a student athlete have five hundred bucks a month during the football season. Yeah, I agree. So, so, so yeah. So that's kind of all the sports that we're going to talk today because yep. because we have a special guest in the house with us. Um, those who are from the Kansas City area will know this name well. Um, he's a prominent. Uh, artists within our, our scene, within our city, especially within the Christian community. Um, man, he's dropped what? Uh, how many? How many albums? Six, seven, six. I can't believe I got that right on the first try. I'm on the road tonight. Um, he's dropped six albums. Um, his latest one is called Soul Food Two. Uh, we got the homie Sauce remix in the building tonight. Man, what's going on, Sauce? Yo, yo, yo. What's up, world? We in here, man. Music Microwave Show, A Ward, A1. Y'all got to follow them on Twitter. They're hilarious. Yeah, appreciate that. Although, I do have to correct you. It's a black and white thing, but that's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought it was Music Microwave. It's not Music nah, Microwave. That's Trent. That's Trent. We're in the MMP oh. studios. It's okay. It's it's okay. It's, uh, what do you call that? It's cross, cross promotional cross, branding. Yeah, so. fusion marketing or something <laughs> like that. So it's cool, you know. We're a little I gotta sp- fix my Facebook status. Ah, uh, it's all right. It's okay, man. You know, we're just we're glad to have you here, though. Uh, for the people who don't follow you, who don't follow you on Facebook, Twitter, what can they reach you, man? Um, SauceRemix.com. I just got just made a new website. Check it out. Um, um, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook is Sauce Remix at Sauce Remix backslash Sauce Remix. Um, what else am I on? Yeah, that's it. That's it. SauceRemix.com, and then all social media at Sauce Remix. Cool, cool, cool. All right, so um, so like we like I just said in the in the intro, you just dropped a new project, Soul Food Two. Um, give us a little taste of what what Soul Food Two is about. Um, Soul Food Two, man, is really born out of my heart. Um, over the last year and a half, my studies of uh, Black history, African history, um, my heart to be an activist, a community activist, and um, also um, my love for seventies culture. And um, the movements that went on then um, that still um, profit us today. 
Um, yeah, so that's what is re- 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 really born out of really capture. I think on Soul Food One, I had the soul food there, but I didn't capture the essence of the soul. Right. See what I'm saying? Like the music didn't really match all the way like this one does. This mm-hmm. one, it sounds like soul music. And um, so that's what really Soul Food 2 was about. Yeah, yeah. I think Soul Food, soul food 1, I think focused more on the sampling side of it. Mm-hmm. From a from a soul sampling kind of like the you know what Kanye made you know made really famous, but Soul Food Two is like you said it's more so on uh, black culture. Yeah, uh, where you talking about literally like Soul Food? You had a joint uh, that I believe that's the intro where you talk about having okra and yeah, I think, you know you bring <clears throat> those different things to the table. You talk you got fried chicken the joint with Just B. You got yeah. whipping soul food so. So yeah, so yeah, I feel you on that. Um, going back to the seventies, what do you love about seventies culture? Is it black exploitation? Uh, is it the the style addressed? Yeah, it's it's all that man. The, the, the my number one thing is the talk, um, the job turkeys and all that like that. I love the way they talked, man. Um, when I was working at um my job before Harley Davidson, working for a plant that worked for GM, me and my homie uh, Chris, we was always every night we talked like seventies dudes all the time. Like, well, what's man on the black hand side? Just saying stupid stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, that's what that's the number one thing. Now, my mother in law, she had a um seventies skating party for her birthday this year. Okay. And um, so it just kind of refreshed me, like, man, the seventies culture was dope. The Afros, what they stood for, just coming out of the sixties, um, just the laid backness of it. It was cool. It, it it gave birth to what being cool was. You know what I mean? And all the words, the terminologies that we still use to this day, right, are from the seventies, man. So, um, all the of course the black exploitation films, you know, the Mac and Superfly and all of um, all of a Pam Greer's catalog and. Uh yeah man that's what I love about the 70s culture man and um just the whole idea of, of the disco scene and um all that man it's it's I I just love it I, I don't know it's one of my favorite eras besides like uh the Harlem Renaissance era okay okay so right now I mean and I know as an artist you know your your songs are like your baby so you sometimes you say well I love them all the same but right now if you had to choose your favorite joint off the album is what um, my favorite favorite joint. Shoot, my favorite joint. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to choose. Uh, can I can I list three? All, all right, right, I'll let you list three. All right, three, three, three. Um, jazz. Um, between conscious and black superhero music and fried chicken. Okay. Okay, cool, cool. Those are those are dope. Those are, yeah, I know you did. He did. But but cool. okay, who gonna choose one? Jazz is my favorite. All right, For the simple fact, I've never done a song like that before, mm-hmm. and I got a chance to mix hip hop with jazz and really talk about my love and um um really like recognize all the roots and the, the, all the music that has been birthed out of jazz music. Mm-hmm. And what the music did for the culture of the Harlem Renaissance and things of that nature. And Charlie Parker, one of the biggest jazz musicians ever, being right here from Kansas City. Um, and it had no agendas attached to it. There was no message except I love jazz music. Right. And that's why I really liked it, man. I love the beat. And, um, yeah, so probably jazz would be my favorite. Me, me personally. I, I, listen, I can listen to it on repeat all day. My joint is black superhero music. Um, that beat. Um, the flow, uh, Craig did his thing. Like that's one of them joints. Like I don't rap anymore, but like that joint made me like, yo, sauce. Like, can I get like the instrumental? You know, and I can sit maybe come up. You know, get me on a <laughs> remix or something. You know. Well, um, you know what's so funny about that song, man. Um, I wanted to make a song because I I've been reading a book called The Assassination of the Black Male Image. Uh, that Trey Cop put me on. Trey Cop and his wife put me up on it, and um. Um, I wanted to get Show Baraka on it because Show Baraka really inspired me personally with Talented Tenth. Yeah, dope album. Um, and that, um, and I, I talk to Show all the time. Like I've talked to him in my inbox. We've talked about Hebrew Israelites and woo 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 and his view on this this. Like he's really been guiding me along on different things and sending me different information stuff like that. But anyway, he was supposed to be on it, right? And um, he couldn't make the deadline. 
And um, so I was like, dang, who can I get on it? So I was like, man, well, I, I want to make sure I'm working with somebody that I haven't worked with. So I hit up Craig. Me and Craig supposed to Ben did a song two years ago. And um, I was supposed to do something with Craig and Irv the Phenom, but I couldn't get Irv. But um, anyway, so I hit up Craig. I said, hey, I got this joint. Man, he sent me the, the thing like the next day. Like, hey, this is a rough draft. I'm like, dude, this is cold. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So um, we knocked it out, and I got the beat from um, A-West. I know A-West. Um, uh, yeah, A-West. Uh, he rocked with um, rock Young Father, 21 the King. You know, they all rock together. I mean, not, not I'm sorry, not, not Young Father, 21 the King. Um, but, yeah, I got the beat from him. One of his dudes in Detroit made it. Mm. You know, they all about that sound up there. So he's yeah. like, hey, I got a beat. Yeah, um, I think you'll use on Soul Food. We got Malcolm X at the beginning. I was like, send it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I really don't even rap to beats like that. And I was like, I can do something yeah, with this. So, nice. so yeah, that's nice. how that came about. But Cool, cool. So on Soul Food, like you said, you, you talk about um, in the intro, you said we're going to go to a, a 70 Soul Party. We're going to go to a, uh, trying to think. You said you're going to go to a protest. Um, and you you talk about a list of things that you'll get into, but there are two names, or there's a name um, that, well, I, I guess I should I should say two names that are prominently featured that caught my attention. One uh, was Pete O'Neill, uh, the song that is about the Black Panther Party, and then Marcus Garvey. So, if you could tell the people how though the Black Panther Party and uh, Marcus Garvey have made an influence on your life. Okay, um, all right, so I really been um looking into history uh for like the last year and a half and at the beginning of this year I I forgot how it happened, but I stumbled upon looking at stuff about the Black Panthers. Well actually I stumbled I'll take that back, I stumbled upon the COINTEL pros, right. which were um a government um missions to destroy um um black led um, organizations. So they were behind Martin Luther King, Marcus Garvey, Black Panthers, a, a, a lot of different people. But anyway, and that was led by the FBI themselves. And um, so I looked into the COINTEL Pro and I seen about the Black Panthers. And I'm like, the Black Panthers? So I started looking them up. So I'm looking on the internet and I, I find their official website. Mm-hmm. Now the Black Panthers are no longer in existence as an organization. Now they do come together to celebrate their history every now and then, but they don't, they, they don't necessarily rock with the guys that are talking about the new black Panthers. Let's okay. bomb Ferguson. No, they don't rock with them dudes. Right. Okay. Them dudes created their own thing. Um, a lot of the Panthers moved to Africa or went to Harvard and got degrees or in prison or whatever. So I started looking and I grew up as one of those kids, you know, the black Panthers were racist they want to kill white people. They hated white people. They want to overthrow the government. And um, so I never even second-guessed it. I'm like, Black Panthers. So I started looking into it, and I started finding out about all these things that they did for the community. Um, free breakfast programs, they were really an influence on the public school system on providing free breakfast for kids. Right. Um, so the free breakfast program, they also had free health clinics for blacks that couldn't afford uh, insurance. They had black doctors and black nurses right in the hood, you know, and um, they will serve the community. Um, they also taught self-defense classes. You know, back in those days, you know, I mean, now it's getting a little worse, but, you know, you get sprayed with a water hose or beat up for nothing, and nothing would happen to anybody. Right. Um, so they taught self-defense classes. I mean, the original name was the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. Um, but anyway, um, they also had a community law classes they were they their lawyers a lot of the black parents are very educated a lot of the guys with the law degrees would hold classes for instance in chicago they had a community law for the whole community come learn your rights come learn um um the constitution we teaching it for free to teach the community so they can know what's going on right and they had a lot of different things like that different programs like that man that i didn't know about and like I said, I thought they were just these militant dudes trying to overthrow the government. The media always showed them with guns or showed Huey or whatever. And I didn't know about the things they had going on, even in Kansas City. So Pete O'Neill, um, I met his wife, Charlotte O'Neill, Charlotte Hill O'Neill. And they currently live in Tanzania, Africa, Tanzania, Africa, East Africa. And they have a community where they've adopted like, man, over 15 kids, um, as well as they have people that come from the States to come learn. Um, how they work with African children, um, teach them uh, English, and also, as well as they talk the native language over there. 
and they um it's called the um the UAACC. Um, I'm trying to think of the name, what the acronym means, but it's an arts thing. They teach arts, they teach education, and they just trying to help these uh, African kids in that area. Like parents drop their kids off, like I can't take care of my kids, can y'all? And Pete O'Neill's adopted like seventeen kids or something like that. Wow. Yeah. So after he um he was wrongly convicted or accused of a gun charge crossing the state line or something with a gun, a new law that they had just created, and he managed to escape and uh, move to Africa, and that's what he's been doing all these last 40 years or whatever. But anyway, so finding out stuff about that and looking how um, Kathleen Cleaver, uh, Angela Davis, how they went and got educated and they're leading women's rights and things of that nature, that influenced me. Like, whoa, they got a whole other positive side of them that the media doesn't show us. Right. And that's the, that's what the song was birthed out of. So it was, I'm headed to a Black Panther party. Like, I'm not joining the Black Panther Party. I'm going to a Black Panther Party. We're celebrating the positive things that they did for the community. And how can we take those for the situation that we're in right now and apply those to what's going on in our inner cities? So um, that's what it really was born out of, man. I got connected with them um, through one of my guys. I used to work at Harley-Davidson where he's a local rapper too, um, King Kihei. And um, he got me connected. And, uh, man, we just – it was dope because I made the song specifically for the event. Right. And I rapped at the event. I was able to do that. I did gunshots there too. And they loved it. Like, and, and it's dope because so many people thought that a lot of the Black Panthers, and some of them might have had racist ideas, but the whole thing was not about that. Right. Um, I was able to talk to Kathleen Cleaver and it blew my mind. I was starstruck, no lie. <laughs> but anyway, um, she was talking about um, how the FBI and stuff would. Make falsify a lot of information about them and spread the media would spread these things like the Black Panthers are out here killing white people or whatever. It was like you, but you can't find any bodies. She's like, you can't find any bodies. She's like, but you can find the bodies of us. Right. And I was like, dang, I never thought about that. So hold on, I'm a, one couple of points. Uh, one, when you talk about CoinTelPro, um, I don't know if people can look this up, but uh, there was an article that came out about the government going into Cuba. And yes. they were trying to use hip hop to undermine the government mm. um, to start some things. Also, in, in the news, uh, the government has talked. Uh, President Obama's talked about opening up relations with Cuba. Yeah. And Assad Shakur yep. uh, is currently residing in Cuba, and so there, I've seen some articles about you know what does that mean for her, her if, yeah. if relations are better. She obviously is. I believe she's the number one uh, as a female. She's. Yeah. Uh, the highest ranked female on the most wanted list uh, yeah. by the government for I forget for the murder of who it was, but a New Jersey state trooper. Yeah, yeah. So, so I just want to put people up on that. Check that out. Now, you said Kathleen Cleaver, and you said you were starstruck. For people who may not know who that is, explain who Kathleen Cleaver. Um, is. Kathleen Cleaver was actually um, one of the leading ladies in the Black Panthers. Um, she was married to Eldridge Cleaver, who is. Relative of Emmanuel Cleaver. Ah, okay. Yeah, Kansas so, City connection. Okay. Yes. And you got to understand the Black Panthers were a political party. Right. They were heavy into politics and law and things of that nature. So that fit right in. Actually, Emmanuel Cleaver led the um, um, the pardon for Pete O'Neill to get a pardon from the United States to come back to Kansas City, which was denied. But I think they're trying to do something else now. Right. Um, yeah. So and Kathleen, um, I think she went to Harvard. Um, got her law degree there, I believe, and uh, she's a lecturer. At, at, I think either there or somewhere UC Berkeley, somewhere prestigious. But anyway, so yeah, so uh, and I, I, I first, um, I got a song, I got a line in the song where I said Kathleen was the first woman I seen saying what an afro means. Right, right. So I didn't know that the afro had an actual. It was actually used as a political symbol. I thought it was just, it's just a cool fashion yeah, a statement. Yeah, yeah. But she broke it down and saying it was this new movement of women and males. Um. Going natural, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's a new movement today, you know, but back then in the 70s, 60s, she was saying, we're wearing our hair like it is. You know, we're just saying, like, we're beautiful as we are. They had the uh, Black is Beautiful movement as well. We're beautiful as we are. And I didn't know what that stood for. So when I seen it, I was like, whoa. So I started reading up on her and learned about Eldridge Cleaver and Emmanuel Cleaver and Pete O'Neill, how it was all tied in together. And the Kansas City chapter, they had the Bobby... Um, the Bobby um the Bobby Hutton uh clinic right here in Kansas City. Um actually the first um 
free breakfast program they had in Kansas City was at St. Mark's in the Northeast on 12th Street, which had a white pastor. So that blew me away. I'm, I'm at the celebration. Like We, we want to honor one of our lifelong colleagues. He's a lifelong Panther. I don't think he was a real Panther, but he was an affiliate. <laughs> and they said, Pastor so-and-so, I'm looking around for a black dude. And this white dude stood up, and I was like, whoa. Okay, so that gave me some more perspective. Right. Some more perspective on, um, you know, a lot of their views and misconceptions, I should say. Um, yeah, so that's that was the whole thing with the Black Panthers. No, I'm not a Black Panther. I had um, a brother inbox me like, hey, um, are are the Black Panthers recruiting you? Um, and I'm like, the Black Panthers are no longer an organization, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> I said, no, they're not recruiting me. I'm not I'm not communist or socialist or anything like that. And I just kind of break them down. But anyway, um, so on to Garvey. Um, another thing, I grew up, um, never really learned about Marcus Garvey in school at all. Um, but when I did hear about the name, he was always demonized. And um, I started looking into him because a lot of the, uh, I guess I would say, pro-black community really championed Garvey. Even the cats that don't believe in Christ. Garvey was a Christian. For those who don't know. Um, and he did he he didn't have a Western worldview of Christ. Um, um, of course he talked about the God of Ethiopia, things of that nature. But um he was very interesting, and I started to look into his story, and um I watched a documentary on him and read up on some of his uh, his writings, actually found a book that his wife compiled after he died, um, called The Philosophies and Opinions of Marcus Garvey. And it's very interesting. He had a um, well. First of all, he, uh, him, and W. E. B. Du Bois had a um, a um, disagreement. So Marcus Garvey was from Jamaica. He wanted to come to America to meet up with Booker T. because he loved Booker T.'s um, ideas on economics and um, technology. I mean, not technology, but um, agriculture and starting your own thing. And, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker T. at the time were bumping heads. Right, right. So when Booker T. died, Marcus Garvey kind of filled that slot to get black people to be self-sufficient. And he had a thing called the Black Back to Africa movement. He's going to go back to Africa and try to, I guess, develop nations over there. I'm not too for sure. But, um, yeah, so that kind of influenced me because, first of all, I didn't know he was a believer. Like, he confessed Christ many a times. Like, he said his, his foundation was Christ. The reason he loved his people is not because... He 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 hates white. He said he has no room for hate. He loves his people because he understands that they are the oppressed people of the world. And um, so anyway, um, he had very strong convictions about Christ. I don't know how how good that was lived out, but in his writings and everything, in his speeches, he talks about it all the time. So that was very interesting to me. That that really pulled me closer to him because I really didn't know that. So I you know I rock with Malcolm X too, but when he gets to Islam, I don't know too much about Islam, especially the nation of islam before he went on his pilgrimage or whatever right um so i couldn't really get that close because a lot of his foundation was based off his religious beliefs as well right you know so with marcus is a little bit more influencing because he was saying like you know literally you can rise up like you from the you from one of the greatest races in the world like you can rise up and that was the influence of that song and um I got Cortez on at the last minute. He sent me the beat, the the verse that night. And um, I understood that he really didn't know too much, like I was saying, words like Garveyism and stuff like that. And people hear that and it's kind of like, what is he talking about? Right, right. Because you mentioned the UNIA. Yeah, well. the UNIA, yeah. RBG. People don't know what that stuff means. And, and that's cool. I have another audience that does knows does know what that stuff means. The UNIA is the United Negro Improvement Association that Marcus Garvey led. And uh, RBG, the red, black, green, is for the flag that Marcus Garvey created for people of African descent. Um basically they didn't know what nation they were from. So we have no flag. Right. He made the flag as a um he said a people without a flag is something I forgot. But anyway, um yeah, so that's how Garvey really influenced me, man. Just the way he thought he thought differently from a from a Western perspective. Um his ideas about um Africa and his travels and um, the bout that he had with W.E. Du Bois and them going back and forth and the fact how how fast he got successful 
with his uh, newsletters, newspapers, his ships, the investments he made, even how he got caught up on the uh, mail fraud and went to prison and things of that nature. Um, even how the COINTEL Pro, uh, one of the first um, agents that um, Edgar Hoover used for for the COINTEL Pro was a black man that he used to get into the ranks of Marcus Garvey and basically bring the organization down. So all that type of stuff was interesting. And that's kind of influenced me um, on my my outlook on life, man. So. Okay, so I want to go back to something you talked about when you said Marcus Garvey. People didn't know he was a Christian, or maybe they thought he, as a as a believer, he went too far. And, and it, for those who know you and know your background, this is the question that everybody has been. If this is this interview has probably been going on for about twenty minutes now, and people, everybody wants to know the answer to this question. So I'll, I'll ask it here: Are you still a Christian? Yes. I'm still a Christian. Um, as far as the title goes, um, being a believer, man, it's 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 not just a title; like it's who you are, right? Right. And so when people think, when people see me talking about black stuff, I think they're threatened, but they're threatened thinking of it as a title, mm-hmm. not as this is him as a person. You understand what I'm saying? So. It's kind of if, if if I'm not saying Christian buzzwords or whatever, then people automatically like. I don't know if dude's still rocking, but yeah, I still rock with the gospel. Like that changed me as a person spiritually. First of all, my my foundation as as Marcus and as MLK is on the gospel, man. So, um, I understand. Like I was talking to you about this earlier in the week. Yeah, I understand people um people's concerns, especially on social media. And social media is just it's hard a beast. To, yeah, it's a beast. Yeah, it's hard. That's, that's why I wish people would hit me up. Like I heard from Dre and Deacon and you and oh man, catch one of you a Hebrew Israelite, woo woo woo, and like why ain't nobody hit me up though? Yeah, yeah, and and I yeah when we talked, you know, I said you know maybe people afraid you are gonna respond. Asalam alaikum, my brother. You know, brother. Yeah, you know, maybe cats are just afraid of what you're going to say. You know, you know, you know we're. The black man, and you know, we're the, the true descendants of God, and we're going to rise up over the white devils, and yeah. they will be our slaves, and we shall be their masters. Yeah, no, 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 I'm definitely not that extreme, man. I think, I think Africa, especially African history, is taboo, like even in black churches, man, because we just don't know it, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like going over to that scary land, like what's over there, you know what I mean? And I, I don't know what it is, man, but. I don't know. It 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 just made me I feel like nobody has that experience unless you don't know your history. I understand it is some whites or whatever race that may may not know where they come from. Right. But mostly everybody has a country of origin, things of that nature, but not blacks. Well, blacks like there's no land of black, there's no country of black, there's no nation of black. Like where do we come from? African American, uh, you can't be too. You can't be a from a country. You can't be from a a continent and a country like. Right. So, it's hard to figure that out. And I I put a question on Facebook. I say, do you know how it feels to not know, um, what tribe or nation or country that your people come from, and to know that your family don't even know, and that's what slavery has done. But so thinking about that, man, that's what really charged me and encouraged me to look at history. And then also being challenged on historical Christ as well um, by other brothers of the pro-black community. Um, I, I hate saying that, but I, I'm saying that for people that's listening. Well, let's let's the hit conscious on community, I guess I would say. <laughs> so let's hit on that. So what what is your response to those? Because you mentioned a pro, you know, Christians yeah. are pro-black community. What are your response mm-hmm. to those who feel that you become more about the black community? Than than the gospel. Um, I don't know the response, man. I mean, honestly, I know that um, my foundation for what I do is from the change that happened in my life. Um, but I understand that the most oppressed people are the black community. Um, as far as talking about that more than talking about the gospel, I can see on Facebook why people would say that I have been going hard 
<laughs> about the black community, man. And just, just, just where I think that I've been groomed to go. Like, my goal is to be a full-time activist. Like, it's not to be a pastor. and nothing, I mean, nothing wrong with that. But my goal is to be a full-time activist, man. And, and that's to take up on social issues. And I think right now, man, I've really been hitting hard on that, man, because that's what I've been studying, learning for myself. Right. Like, I got, like, I want to say I got the gospel down. Like I got it down perfectly. I don't got it down perfectly. My theology might not be the best. I don't think anybody is. But, like, that part in my life, I know I got that. Like, I know I got Christ. Christ got me. I got the grace or whatever. Now I'm learning about what's going on in the world, why things are the way that they are, even how Christianity was used during slavery and for imperialism and for colonialism. Learning about those things, man, um, it just had made me more, I don't know, more aware. So I talk about a lot of that stuff, man. But I don't know if if I don't know if there is a is a um I guess people are looking for a balance. And I don't know if if I can say that there is a is a balance. Like like when Martin Luther King had I have a dream speech or whatever else, whatever, he was championing uh, championing the black community and especially at the, a lot of his end of the uh, later years of his life, um, it was just his foundation was on what he believed spiritually, and all of his speeches wasn't about that. Yeah, he preached on Sunday, but you know, so I, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know how that looks, man. And hey, maybe that's fault on me, but that's just where I am right now, you know. So. Um, I'm not too for sure, man. Now, it, it has been points, man, like, I found myself, like, mad at God. Like, literally, like, why would you even let people be enslaved? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why would you let it happen? I understand at the end of the day, it's going to all fall back to a sin issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for the hearts of man, like, the moral capacity that I guess Europeans couldn't produce at that time, like, it was more profitable to just enslave people, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> like, I found myself, man, like, God, why would you even let it happen? And um, James Baldwin said a quote. He said, um, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be enraged. All, it's, it's to be, like, enraged all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be mad. Like, I know, you know what I'm saying? And I understand why people... Are mad. I understand the extremes of uh, people saying, you know, the white man is the devil. Let's kill him or overthrow him. And that's definitely not the answer. But I understand that. Based in looking at what James Baldwin said, like, man, you've learned about this information, learned about what stuff that's going on historically to you. And while you're in the situation that you're in, while your parents were in the situation that they were in, and it's kind of like, whoa, why? Why us? You know what I mean? And that's just something that I've been dealing with, man. That's just one of my struggles. So y'all pray for me, you know. But, um, yeah, man. But other than that, man, like, I think that the whole thing has been good for me. Um, it's so much psychological uh, things in the media, even in Christian media. Um, Christmas, white Jesus, things of that nature. Right. Like, all that stuff is damaging to people of color who are already learning in America that black is not something good. Even our definitions of black and and, and them calling us black, evidently we're not black, we're brown, but just the, the whole term, um, dark, evil, whatever, um, is just a psychological thing to me. Um, have you ever seen the, um, the way that uh, Thurgood Marshall won his case against the, uh, the Board of Education? No, no, sir. sir. Okay, he did. Um, he did a a study. He got these random kids in a back room somewhere, and he and he took these dolls out, and he put him he put them in front of the kids, and he said the black kids, and he put them in front of them. He gave them a black doll and a white doll. He said, which doll is the prettiest? And they pointed to the white doll. He said, well, which doll is the smartest? And they pointed to the white doll. And he said, well, which doll is good? And they pointed to the white doll. And then he said, which doll are you? And they pointed to the black doll. Mm. So psychologically, children are learning. We've been learning this since we were kids. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And 
now I look at it from the perspective, okay, you look at Disney movies. Well, they got one black princess now, but. Shouts out to Princess Tiana. I <laughs> I don't, I've never seen the movie, but I think her name is Princess Tiana. But yeah, um, you look at that. You look at um, books. Um, I think that I was a study that said um, in the last three years, out of all the millions of children's books that had come out, only 3% had a, had a main role that was a person of color. That's, that's Mexican, black, whatever. Right. Um, so we need more diversity in books, of course. But anyway, um, just all of that, man, and you look at that stuff from that perspective and you understand that we have a very unique situation and a very different fight. Not only to, to you know, we've been liberated um, spiritually, we've been liberated from physical chains of slavery, mm-hmm. but our minds... And not only with, you know, oh, well, he's addicted to alcohol or he's a drug dealer. His mind is messed up. But he hates himself. That's a whole other thing that majority of people groups don't have to deal with. They have cultures. They have origins of where they come from. They have different languages they speak. We don't got none of that. We got European names. We got European language. Our worldview is through a European lens and everything. And I think that psychologically that's damaging to a person of African descent, even in an American setting. America, of course, is a melting pot of people, you know. Um, but that's just something that I look at, man, that's just been made aware to me. And I did it with my daughters. Like, I did the thing with my daughters, dude. And they basically are like, they didn't realize that they were beauty beautiful because of because they're beautiful the way they are. Right. So I've been showing them, you know, you're beautiful. You're a person of African descent, and you're beautiful because God made you that way. And I hate this thing, you know, uh, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. I think that takes away from our humanity, man. Like, God made us this way for certain reasons. Right, exactly. And one day he's going to reconcile all tongues and nations back to him, right? And I think that when it hit home for me with my girls— I was just like, whoa, this is a deep psychological thing. And you look at um, all the things that black women go through to try to make themselves beautiful, um, to feel beautiful. Like the whole term going natural is you shouldn't have to go natural. You know what I mean? Like you should be natural. And I'm not saying women, you can't wear a weave or wear your hair straight or nothing like that. Mm-hmm. But I, what, I, what I'm saying is the whole term shows that we've had a lack of um, self-love for our natural selves. And I, I don't know, man, it's, it's just it's hard to really pinpoint a lot of things, man. But those are just issues that I like to funnel through, look through, study. Especially, man, I've been um, in school. I'm, I was in a sociology class. Very deep. Blew my mind. All my professors were um, white, um, older females, mm-hmm. but they were very solid. Like, you know, um, my history teacher was very solid, my sociology teacher and everything. So that's, that's where I've been, man.